Hello and welcome to yet another fabulous episode of the Brothers F Bookcast podcast uh, show. I don't know what we're going to call it. I think Bookcast is the brand name. Today we are discussing a very serious Russian story, short story uh, by Chekhov called In the Cart. Uh, so, uh, what did you guys think? It was a lot shorter than I expected. Like, it didn't really go anywhere. This is very much like... At least superficially. Very much like Quampi's uh, uh, review of uh, All Summer in a Day, which was, it was short, and you don't have to pay for it. Oh, well... That is true. Both of those were true. Yeah, I don't know. I thought it was evocative. It was cool. Um... I sort of like had in my head the idea of like tracking the girl's life as though it were on this road and that it was as equally like, I mean, we'll discuss exactly what I mean by that when we talk about the details of the story, um, but like her life as the road that she was on, maybe, or maybe the metaphor is better somewhere else. Uh, I don't know how to describe this. I'm sort of rambling. But I don't know. I thought it was good overall. It was short enough that it'd be hard for it not to be worth the read, right? I yeah, I, I thought it I thought it was a pretty good read. I thought you chose well, friend. Um because I don't know, I, I enjoyed reading it and I think exactly what Andres said. It was like it's short enough from such a prolific author that you know chances are you're not gonna um you're not gonna miss. And uh I don't know, maybe this is getting too uh, English classy too early, but I found it uh, pretty cool how at the beginning of the short story, you know, she's kind of describing how she's memorized the trek from the village to the woods. She knows every tree, she knows every rock. And then all of a sudden they're going in every which direction. And it's that like having to veer from the path that, you know, causes her to break from her um, normal a routine of just thinking about her students and thinking about exams and starting to actually think about her mom for once or her dad. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. That exact line that you brought up, like the memorizing every rock and tree was very evocative for me because I, I mean, like I live in Philly. I visit my family back up in Boston pretty regularly. And at this point I, I take the Amtrak up and down every time. At this point, there are specific details of the, of the coastline around this like South Connecticut, Rhode Island that I recognize every time I pass. Like there's one sort of like, I don't know, they build these like fake bird's nests that sort of, you know, like just a big stick with like a platform up top so that these wandering birds can have a place to nest. And there's one that's been sort of knocked over by the wind. And I see it every time I pass down. It's always this one little like 10 second detail on a six hour trip. It sticks in my mind very, very thoroughly. Yeah. No, I know. I know that. I mean, I know it from the New York leg up and there's New London. There's that beach um, close to there, uh, that Connecticut town that begins with an N. Um, there's, you know, those classic. I, I always see Kingston, Rhode Island as like the train station's kind of farmy. Like it looks like you're going through a farm. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I that I definitely uh, that. I picked up on that too, because I think we can all we all have our roots that we travel every day. But she's been doing this for decades, and it's the same exact path every you know every day. Yeah. And it's uh, 
and and I was just imagine, you know, I just found it pretty curious how like the one day, like that's, I mean, the, the author mentions it, and then the next thing you know, that's exactly what, not what's not happening. Like she's going, she's trying a different route. They have to turn back. A different route. They have to turn back. And uh, and this um, is kind of a distraction from the content of the story, but it makes you think how boring traveling must have been back in those days. Like now, I take the Amtrak at six hours. I'm still bored out of my skull. For those like for at least like four of those six hours and i have a phone and like like multiple books usually and back then like you probably didn't bring a book with you i don't know how expensive those were um and you oh, definitely didn't have a phone so like yeah. what were you doing for the like 12 hours of your cart ride up into town probably well, just staring at the scenery and like making small talk that's got to be excruciating out, as we found out it's 95 percent boring and and five percent terrifying when like the the, the servant Semyon uh, Semyon uh, tries to go through the river and it's clearly a bad idea, and uh, she's like, "What what are you doing? <laughs> like you're gonna drown the horses," and uh, he does it anyway. And wait, um, do you want to just like start from the top and give people an overview of what like? Wait, I mean, there's wait, not wait, a lot wait. of detail. Before, before we go any further, where's where's the manwich? I'm here. I was rudely kicked out from Wancho's line of view. Because apparently the microphone. So, but we can't hear you. Move in. You gotta get closer to the mic. I can hear you just fine, and I can hear. Yeah, but Huanpi's way too far. No, not really. Move in where Huancho is. Move in right next to. There's no space for. Give each other a nice big hug, and and uh, do the whole podcast. I don't think you need to social distance. I mean, you live together. Well, yeah. look, uh, he's been very silent, so I'm wondering once again if he did the reading. Ooh. Yes, I did do the reading. Can you hear me? Right. Well, you did the reading for once? Then definitely getting closer to the mic. We need this. We want to hear Come on, Humpy. This is a rare. We want to hear what you have to say. All right, Humpy, prove it. Tell me five things about the reading. I mean, fine. There's this lady who's nicer than Juancho who lives in <laughs> Russia and... um. She doesn't kick people out from their seats into very uncomfortable ones. And um, what else? Her name is um, what was it? Uh, I can't pronounce her name. I don't. Do we even know her name? Yeah, yeah. it's Maria. What, what is it? Um, Maria. Does her name mean something in Russian? Like, is this a meaningful thing? Um. Anyways, she goes on like this cart ride. I think it's is it every day into like her job, which is in the school. She's it's not every yeah. She's a school teacher. I think she's picking up her pay. So this is like must be like a, oh. a monthly thing or a bi-weekly thing or oh, maybe even a weekly. To the school and like oh, see, I picked it up as if she was going to school and uh, that. But Juancho's reading the story out loud, and I was just listening along. But um, and then oh so she nice, in, yeah, it was pretty nice actually. There's the surly cart master or cart guy, and she's sitting inside the cart, and she like it. The uh, Chekhov describes her like journey throughout the cart, while also describing like the people around. And I think at one point they stop at a pub. Yeah. They do stop at a pub. They do stop at a pub. Well, we're missing the most important piece of. I also remember the horses were breathing hard. And that this is not a story about. My opinion: This is not a story about someone getting from point A to point B, right? Well, so let, no, let me tell two stories. Let me, let me tell two stories. One story: um, Andrew gets on the Amtrak and goes from Philly to Boston. 
Yes. Story two. Andrew gets on the Amtrak, and a beautiful rich woman sits down next to him. <laughs> it's a different um, story. It's a different story. So, like, like Hanov is described as both handsome and rich. They are both on the same journey. It's like when you're, you know, I'm married now, so I don't have these concerns. But it's like when you're on an airplane and you see someone else attractive in the waiting area, you're kind of thinking to yourself, maybe, just maybe that person will sit next to me. And then inevitably it's like, you know, like, you know, two fat people or like. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But 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 no. uh, So, yeah. So there's this really rich guy that walks next to her and it culminates with like her being really happy next to train. And, um, and, uh, what else? And well, like this- can I, can I give my interpretation? Yes. Cause I think it's, as, as you know, I, I would agree. It's not just about someone riding on a cart from the school well, you to gotta the village take the deepness to pick up a check. Um, I, I think the story, uh, Chekhov does a great job about, um, describing, you know, our tendency to get caught up in routines and day-to-day life and uh, the trap of, you know, living every day the same, worrying about the same things and kind of, I don't want to say wasting away your life that way, but refusing to um, branch out or refusing to explore, you know, what, what causes you happiness or refusing to find love or refusing to just break from your your routine such that you become unhappy and you don't find love. And it takes this trip into the village where, you know, it's an April day, it's warm, but there's still snow on the ground and it's muddy. And, you know, they have to take all these different, you know, routes on the normal route. And then all of a sudden this, uh, what was his name? Hanov or Hanov, um, comes next to her and, and, and then she starts thinking, wow, he graded the exams last year. Wow, he's actually he's actually kind of he's actually kind of uh, attractive. Wow, I wonder what would happen if I married him. <gasps> and then it's like, and then it breaks to a paragraph. Oh no no no, she, she, she couldn't think about that. And then eventually he rides away, and she sees him again. And um, I mean, we could talk about you know the train that passes by, and she sees someone that looks like her mom. You know, Chekhov describes how she had completely, I guess she refused to think about her past at all. Like her mom that she grew up with, she grew up in this beautiful apartment in Russia with her dad and mom. And because she's just been so entrapped in day-to-day life and her life has become kind of just depressing, um, you know, it, 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 it describes kind of an escape to that and how um, even when confronted with this, you know, unfortunately the ending, you know, is like up oh, back to normal, you know, um, Oh, it was, uh, it was heartbreaking. It was it was like so. Yeah, I, I thought uh, is she get, are they going to get married or something? You know, and uh, no, it was like nope. Semyon sends the cart forward, and and that's that. I'd like to think no. that at some point later on they got married. That would just be like a nice little thought that I had. Like, Hoppy's Hoppy's a yeah, softie. I am a softie. Uh, I'm the fluff. I'm I'm the fluff so, of the readership. No, I mean, like you guys, I, I feel like you're underselling the stakes because it was very real to me. Like maybe, maybe it's because uh, I've been in the working world for a bit, but it's like, oh, rich, attractive person. Like this, this, this could solve two problems at once. I'm lonely. 
I'm on the verge of spinsterhood. And he has money. I can quit my terrible job, which I hate as a school teacher, right? She's not some like idealist who like loves the job. She hates the job. She hates putting up a janitor with the corruption of local administration. And she had this nicer life once upon a time. She lived in her apartment in Moscow with an aquarium and two loving parents who died. So she's taken this huge cataclysmic fall in social status. And she's had to work in this job that she doesn't like in this provincial town that she doesn't particularly care for around these people who she doesn't really fit in with. Like she's, she's in between two classes. She, she's not really working class. She's not really a peasant and she's not rich either, right? She's not a landowner. She's not comfortable. She has to work. So she doesn't really fit in, in anywhere. She doesn't belong to anyone. She's completely lonely and she needs money. And there, and there's like Mr. Hansman Rich, and like I, I'm reading this thing on the edge of my seat. Is like, is she gonna close the deal? Right? Are you like Mr. Hansman Rich? That's a funny way of phrasing it, friend. Like, close the deal. <laughs> well, no, I mean, like that's that's an urgent problem to me. It's like, like, you know, like anytime a character has the opportunity to marry someone attractive or get money, I'm interested. And when you have the opportunity to marry someone attractive and get money at the same time, then I'm very interested, right? So I, I, and I, you know, ironically, I've never read any Jane Austen, but it sounds like, it sounds like maybe I should. <laughs> Careful, Fran. A lot of, lot of, lot of people are super defensive about that novel, so. Are they really? Um, yeah, well, they love it. They love her. I mean, she, well, they no, think it's I'm the best thing, one of the best novels. Stakes. Like, those are real stakes, and they, they're, like, yeah. you know, they're real stakes that, that drive, you know, millions of dollars of sales yeah. books a year you know like romance is a big thing and you know not, you know so i hear you i hear you and I, th I i see where you're coming from in terms of the stakes i'll say that when i read this i didn't really get invested in the stakes of will she get married i still enjoyed it but i enjoyed it the way you would enjoy like a string of pearls right there's like somewhat of a thread tying the whole thing together and then there's all these very distinct moments and images which i found very captivating or striking um little stories or descriptions which I, i'm like oh that, that's interesting like at one point she has the description of why she became a teacher and Chekhov goes into this little digression about these people who idealistically go into professions like medicine or teaching with a sense to really make some change and that gets disillusioned and drop out um and it's not to say that i like like the idea of those sorts of things but it did sort of strike me it was like oh you know like what an interesting little character description Chekhov decided to dive into midway through like I said also there was the moment where um uh they there were she saw the trees and it made me think of sorry I'm trying not to laugh because Diego's on camera showing his mug from the office and Stanley saying did I stutter <laughs> anyway <laughs> thanks for the distraction Jade um, also the moments where she like saw these things on the trail, there's the moments where she was talking about, uh, she was imagining the rich dude all lonely in his mansion by himself. So little evocative moments that made me sort of take a step back and think, oh, nice. Okay. Right. Um, desperately wants to talk. I really want to talk. I've got three things to say. One more, most related to Andrew. Um, there's one moment that really stood out with me. When she was talking about how hard the path was to get up and everyone was tired. Uh, what's his name? Um, what's his name? The, the guy's name, the rich guy. 
Hanov. 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 Hanov, like, hot. He takes off his jacket. Um, and she says, like, even the horse... It's like Twilight when the werewolf comes out of the water or whatever he does. He's got, like, a six-pack. He's looking jacked. That's <laughs> no, how I imagine this. <laughs> no, my, 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 my imagination of it was... I didn't even pay attention wait, to wait, that. Wait, 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 wait. Someone has to make a movie of in the card where Hugh Hackman <laughs> plays Hannah. <laughs> Yo, it kind of work. I mean, he's like, Hugh, what is Hugh Jackman? He's probably like mid-40s or late. Like, old. He's weathered. He's in his 50s. He's in his 50s. Yeah, right. You could play the sort of like man who's just starting to get past his prime, but he's still dra- like attractive and mysterious. Yeah, I, I had a different vision of him because the way she describes him is he, he's kind of like a no-life. Like he has tons of money, um, but he doesn't do anything with his life. He could be living in like a, a bigger city, like St. Petersburg or Moscow, but he just chooses to stay in his estate, play chess with his uh, manservant and drink. And um, really, he needs saving by her. She can fix it. Yeah, and that's and that's <laughs> why that I imagine like someone. I imagine her. <laughs> Kind of having this, in, it. I, that's actually what I imagine, though. Like her wanting to be, to have like a purpose in her, or in her life. You know, instead of just being like a school teacher, like I could get married, not have to work, uh, work with anything, and like my purpose would be making sure this guy doesn't fall into complete and utter destruction. Like here he is. He has actually no reason to be on the road that day. He's visiting someone who he clearly says isn't home. <laughs> like he's like, I know he's not home, but I want to go anyway. I want to pass the time, and it's like. <laughs> He has nothing going on in his life, and she really has nothing going on in her life. And I figured that's why I was with Fran. I was kind of rooting for the uh, golden moment. I thought the ending was a little depressing. Yeah. So that's that brings me to my second point. When Fran was talking about like this guy and, and about how uh, Maria, he thought he she was gonna like close the deal. It so reminds me of those HGTV home uh, home shows where they're like, "Are you going to close this deal?" And they they're like. Like, um, I remember grandma used to watch these shows at night and, um, my room used to be right side of grandma. So I will admit that at points I would sneak up and watch the TV. And, um, sometimes she'd have these shows on and it'd be pretty silly. They'd be like, so Anne and James, are you guys going to accept this deal? And then da-da, commercial break. It, it just reminded me of that, like the way Fran was talking about that. Okay, I'm gonna funny. I'm gonna step in and I'm going to uh, reel us back in a little bit, not to be a party pooper, but I have Thank some you. background on Chekhov, which I think may, you know, illuminate the conversation and the story, and uh, and I think you guys may enjoy enjoy it. So one thing, one important fact about Chekhov: Chekhov was a doctor. He worked very hard as a doctor his entire life. So I thought that was kind of cool because there's this little blurb, Andrew, that you mentioned in the story about the people who work hard and aren't rewarded really for it. And that, that includes school teachers and doctors. Chekhov was a doctor. He also wrote in a letter in, uh, in uh, the late 1880s to uh, a newspaper, I think it was. He wrote, no one wants to love the ordinary people in us. And I think that's kind of a cool quote. It's sort of cool to read this story in light of that quote because uh, Maria Vasilyevna, I think her name is, is this completely, completely ordinary woman, but she actually has this like deep, uh, deep interior life. So two things there. One, Chekhov totally knew what it was like to just work himself to, to the bone and really hate it. And, uh, and two, he had a certain affection for the, for the, the ordinary people.
Yeah, that's a great point to bring up. I think it's very touching to think that he spent his time thinking about the forgotten school teacher of a small town who is essential for the well-being of her students, but is probably unappreciated by all the people she serves. Wait, I just realized enough though the, the the school teacher also referred to, you know, a lot of the village folk as just peasants. Like there was a peasant over there. So even I guess I guess uh, ordinary to an extent because there were plenty yeah, of peasants. Yeah, yeah. That she I mean, also I, he, he probably didn't I want know. to make her like a, like a totally white angel, completely unrelatable character, right? Like if you make her like not only selflessly serving the people and like totally forgotten and mistreated and also fully loving and perfect in her relations with other people. She becomes just this like, you know, unrealistic white knight who is perfect. And even though she's mistreated by other people. Wait, wait, you guys aren't like that. (laughs) Yeah. I know. Right. Sorry. We can't be perfect. I thought, I thought, I thought, I thought this was a story about like someone really evil or I'm so sorry, guys. I apologize. I'm so full of spite. I just thought like I, I just thought everyone was was like that. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, unrelated, but I want to fit this in somewhere because it's a fun fact I learned the other day. Um, is they mentioned at one point that they couldn't go through somewhere because it was the priest's land. Um, so back in Russia in these times, and I think for probably hundreds of years before then, there was actually and this word. Does this word I'm about to use does not mean quite the same thing that it normally does, but like a priestly caste. So it wasn't like an Indian caste where this is quite so rigid, but there was kind of like a priestly caste in Russia at this time where you would have a bunch of priests. Uh, most of them would get married because priests in Eastern Orthodoxy can get married, unlike priests in, let's say, Catholicism. Um, then these priests would have kids, their sons would study, some of their sons would become priests themselves. And the priest will then marry the daughters of other priests. So you have this sort of like insular ring of hyper-educated people, sort of like a different genetic pool than the rest of people. The priests were then given extra land. So they would be given like, I don't know, five, 10 times the amount of land that a normal serf would be given. And they would use this land to then sort of extract more value and then pay for the education of their children. And this ended up providing a lot of like... uh, the intelligentsia of the Russian of the Russian cities, because you have like these very well educated young men, sons of priests. Only some of them would become priests themselves. A lot of them would uh, probably not, and would go off and do other bureaucratic jobs. I don't know the exact stats, but I thought that was cool. I didn't realize. I guess if you think about it, that's a consequence of having married clerics. Uh, so when you have your, your priest, who's obviously an influential and knowledgeable figure in these small towns, when you let them get married, their kids also become sort of an elite. And you can imagine why this would lead to an insular society, sort of set above in a not-too-nice way above the peasants. Um, but the, 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 the Western church, the Catholics, avoided this because their priests couldn't get married. So you, would, you wouldn't have to worry at least... As long as the priest is behaving well, you wouldn't have to worry about yeah, any in, sons or daughters. In, in theory, in, in practice, in theory, maybe not so much. In practice, you had a couple of popes who would have Ill- illegitimate children all over the place, but uh, theoretically, you wouldn't have the development of a priestly caste because of just, you know, fathers and sons replicating the whole system. Yes, Quampi? I just have one more thing to say, which is 
mm-hmm. probably more unrelated, but then we can get back to this. But just a quick thing. If the audience is wondering why I'm calling Huancho Smoosh, it's a long story, but it's just don't... I just realized that I'm going to be calling Huancho Smoosh this whole time and people might be like, what is he saying? Just don't don't worry about it. It's normal. Okay. Thank you for that uh, extremely stimulating and You're necessary contribution to the episode okay why well, say don't worry about it we'll just explain very briefly um sometimes when Kwampi would get too attention seeking we'd be like oh and then from that it naturally evolved that we would just go what's up smooji whoosh which we then shortened to smooch yeah so one of those organic why does why does punch i had no idea that this was a thing how this evolved I, this is like way clearly like after my time but also, yes. why why did why does you have a nickname if Wumpy was the one who was originally called that? Well, because then it's, it evolved into uh, like whenever someone would have anything that would be like relatively small or like like a normal thing, but like it'd just be like okay, smooch, fine, like we'll devote yeah, Wumpy, a piece of time to you. Wumpy loves to retort, but it doesn't always work well um, because he would be a young kid; he wouldn't really understand it. Like one particularly funny example of this was one time Juan Carlos was really mad at Juanpi and he said, all right, pea brain. And Juanpi was so indignant. He's like, uh, uh, okay, all right, poop brain. <laughs> Which is just like, it's great. Yeah, that was awesome. Just I just want to finally amend that story because I wasn't actually mad at Juanpi, but we had this gag where we were just, yeah, we would deliver these escalating epithets towards each other. So it was like, well, like, I don't know. I don't know. What's, uh, of course, now I can't think of it. Well, dummy. Yeah, like, well, stupid. <laughs> well, 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 fat face. Yeah, well, dung heap. And we would go up and up and finally said, well, listen, pea brain. And Poppy, like, sputtered. And he was like, well, poop brain. <laughs> and I thought that was, that was pretty endearing. That was many years ago now, but it's a good memory. No, nah, it's pretty good. Pretty good. A similar riff me and Wampi had. It was one time we would be like, "Don't call me pal, buddy," and then be, "Don't call me buddy, friend," so on and so forth. Amigo, compadre, we keep it going for a while. It was pretty fun. Yeah. Ah, that was really yeah, good. Sure. These are the sort of riffs you have with your little brothers. Ah, I never had any little brothers. So maybe I can well, write a sad. Song about it. Like, All right, let's reel it back in. What were we even talking about with regards Russian to the story? Church. Russian yeah, serfs. Russian serfs. You guys are giving the all this priestly order. Historical background about the rich priests and the, uh, you know, Chekhov being the doctor and having to work for a living. But she too could be rich. She wouldn't even have to marry a priest. It's all there. It's like, I don't know, like, Wait, how did we get from the story to the priests? I just brought it up incidentally because oh, when he had he couldn't go through the priest land. Yeah, yeah, which is a small throwaway detail, but it's a funny thing to think about. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I got to the last line of the story really got me. Like, you know that what's the name of the town? I'm probably not going to be able to pronounce it. But here we go. Um, Viazovie. Vazjovie, something like no that. Way. Okay. And here's, and here's Vazjovie. Here we are. It just like it just like it was like a punch of the stomach, you know. Because yes, you know. You, yeah. So you're you're in, the, you're in the story, and you're thinking maybe something's gonna happen with her and Hanov, 
And then he like veers off to go in a different direction. So they're separated and, and, and they're finally reunited here. And she, they're reunited as she's having this epiphany, right? Where she's finally reconnecting with this past where things were better. And she's having this like intense emotional reaction. And she's rediscovering who she was, like the sort of like, frankly, more upper class person who might be a more suitable partner for Hanov. And as she's having this moment, you're thinking maybe, maybe the, you know, as this joy is entering her face, maybe Hanoff notices the new uh, spring in her step or, or gleam in her eye and, and suddenly is, is attracted to her. But it doesn't happen. She just has this moment where she remembers who she is. And then just like that, it's over. So was this just a momentary thing? Is she, is she well, having this interior life? I mean, well, I think yes. I mean, um, she got... have you guys ever heard the phrase uh, "secure the bag"? Yeah, I've heard that phrase. I like that phrase. So she needed to secure the bag. What does it mean for so him? she has to work for Olivia. Well, bag of money, right? And so, like, sometimes, you know, it's like secure the money, like, you know, like, you know, get get taken care of financially. So she, I mean, she, I mean, yes, like, so, like, Diego said she got her check at least, but I'm not excited about the fact that she got her check because, you know, that check will sustain her for a while, but not, you know, not for too long. And then she's going to, you know, have to keep working. She had a chance to secure the bag, and that chance was Hannah. Right, she, she could have been done. She could have been done with the janitor. Yeah, she could have been done with the teach the janitor who persecuted her at the teaching job. She could have been done with the corrupt administration. She could have she could have been, you know, her. She could have had children. She could have had children who would have inherited that land. Who's going to inherit Hanov's land now? I guess so, Fran. But I, I I never viewed it that way. I guess. Maybe I'm just not so worried about money right now. One day I will be once I have kids. And uh, but like the whole time I was just thinking it like this was a this was a big old dream she had, motivated by boredom and by sitting there staring at this handsome man for what however many hours the trip takes. You know, like she'll intermittently say, you know, he really is handsome to herself, which is sort of a funny thought because it's, you know it's relatable. Well. Um, to, to me, it wasn't so much about money. It's like, great, that would have been great. I think that just goes into the, like, it's, the money's a supporting cast, if you will. Yeah. Like, I think that the bigger thing here was how, and I, I talked about this in the beginning, so I'm, I'm slightly repeating myself, but how, um, you know, we get caught up so much in our routines. We get caught up so much in our jobs. She's had like, a, like it, in a way, like we can all somewhat relate to her. Um, whether it's in our jobs or whether it's in something else where, you know, we get so caught up in something and it just starts taking over our life that we forget to kind of explore other aspects of our life. Like she hadn't thought about her past in years. She hadn't thought about her. She, the, the only picture of her mom she had is so worn out that all she can see is eyebrows. I think that the money in the land really represented something else. Like just the, the anything outside of her normal um ride to the village represented something else what representing something else that could be you know if she uh um just it, it could be but it is you know how awesome it would be if she uh 
married Hanov and and had the land and, and and didn't have to work anymore and and you know he's handsome and she could have kids you know the money's just like a it, it's all part of it too it's like you know just part of this uh the allure of potentially living a different life potentially living a life that's drastically different from hers because the, it's very clear that the current one you know it's, it's just not stimulating her it's 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 a little uh it's a little depressing you know she goes to a school where you know she it's funny she starts talking about the watchman who's like just worthless and the guardian and how she has to pay him you know extra to go fetch some wood and then all the she just starts assuming like all the all the common folk at the bar you know assume oh she doesn't pay him enough and keeps more for herself and you know she it just seems like nothing's going right for her and she starts for once getting a glimpse of what could be. Yeah. Yeah, I think the money more than anything, as you say, DH, is just a departure from ordinary life. Uh, and I remember um, I told you guys I took a class on Russian literature. And when we talked about Chekhov, we said Chekhov, or it's been said of Chekhov, that he's the master of ordinary life. I think that's a pretty good title for him. And I think in, in this story and in other things that I've read by Chekhov, it's pretty clear what kind of ordinary life people are living. A very oppressive one, you know, <laughs> like ordinary life is just something that grinds you down day after day. And people keep themselves alive or they keep themselves going with hopes and dreams and fantasies about a better life. But uh, but then ordinary life just comes right back, right, right at the uh, like as it does at the end of this story. Yeah, I mean, a question for you guys. Has, has she changed from the start of the story to the end of the story in any way? Well, she remembers her family much better. That's important. I, I think it depends. I think uh, that's intentionally left vague. And I think, uh, you know, I think, Andres, I think that's actually a very good question because I think that's part of what uh, Chekhov may be getting to right you know the way he ends it you know where she's back to reality right but is this going to spark some sort of greater change in her to maybe um take initiative and maybe you know the next time she sees Hanoff she asks him out or the next time she sees Hanoff they just buy it's it's open to interpretation I think and I think intentionally so I think the more easier interpretation is that she it doesn't she's the same person now she's back to because you know just kind of the flashback at the end that one-liner was really like a dagger in the back but the fact that she thought about her mom and her father and her brother for the first time in decades and she thought about you know love and she thought about getting married you know these are things she'd never permitted herself to think about and um you know i think that's just it's open to interpretation and intentionally so. Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. I just, I, I would lean to saying that she doesn't and that this is just sort of like a dream where she's having all these fantasies about what was and what is and what could be. And then she gets snapped back to reality at the end and then, oh, it's over. Okay, back to normal life. Back to the life of drudgery. Yeah, and I mean that's that's definitely you know probably the easier interpretation, just given that last line. But mm -hmm. at the end, I, I think it uh, 
it someone depends somewhat depends on you know how you choose to interpret it and maybe you put yourself in that sh in, in those shoes right if you've ever been you know trapped in day-to-day -day life right would you allow yourself for you know to rock the boat so to speak you know for moments like that of enlightenment to change you or would you kind of be sucked back in by ne by necessity and maybe just by the difficulty of the task of getting out of that life to uh to change it so it's optimistic to look at it and be like oh the she should change her life right i mean you could also say that like well she has to live this life right i mean how is she gonna no. get out what's she gonna do propose marriage to a rich man like no that's I, probably I, not I how the social dynamics work uh, what no, you're going to do, I like quit her job, move to the city, like with what money and get what job? This is kind of what she's stuck in. No, I, I know that, but there are steps she could take, right? She could start um, socializing more with Hanov. She could start, you know, that, the dynamics back in those days, right? She couldn't just ask him out, but she could send cues. She could send, uh, she could send social cues. It's funny, like when she... Kind of reminds me of that scene when she gets to the pub and then like some people say um you know oh there's a young lady and some are like oh she's not young anymore or ah oh, she's all right or <laughs> i just thought all the like little like um blurbs in the pub those conflicting little blurbs were um were pretty funny and probably made her you know think about things but um i don't know what you guys thought about that no, it is funny. That's another little gem for me. I sort of had a vision of what a pub back then might have been like. I imagine sort of a wooden building. You walk in, the cigarette, the, the the pipe smoke wafts out at you. Smells like sweat and tobacco. And then there's like one guy playing music on a piano in the corner, or however it works. And just to just to think about that image is, I don't know. It's, it's a nice little gem. So, Andrew, it sounds like you liked the story a lot, and you liked it especially for all the nice details. What about you, Gage? Yeah. Did you like it? Would you read more Chekhov if you got the chance? I did. I did enjoy it, actually. Um, I enjoyed how he was able to, um, I guess, uh, do so much with so little. I am. I am. I have read um, Chekhov in the past, and he's he's obviously you know a very prolific short story writer. Um, and I did enjoy it uh, because I think for the mere fact that he was able to do a lot with so little, I don't know. I know that sounds kind of vague, but no, I, yeah, I, like I just enjoy his writing. Yeah, I like that I way he's writing. It. He does a lot with a little. Uh, I found that like when you try to describe something by Chekhov, either short story or like a couple of his plays that I read, when you try to describe them to people, they sound pretty dumb <laughs> and brutal actually <laughs> um but that's not the point right it's not something that you can just uh you know boil down to like some essentials uh, really i think you have to read it to understand what it's about because the way he phrases things and the little details as you say andrew or just sort of the the tone of the story as it wears on and wears on uh, that's really i think like the the take-home thing it's obviously not or in my opinion, it's not it's not really so much about the plot or, or anything like that. You know, I think this is probably a good place to wrap it up and uh, maybe announce our short story for next week, um, which I will be. Yeah, choosing. who's who's up for next week? 
Um, brought to you by yours truly. Um, and we will be reading one that I, a short story I have not read, but I've actually been meaning to read. So you will pardon me if it's not that good. Um, it is by J.D. Salinger. Ooh. I believe he wrote The Catcher in the Rye. And it is called For Esme with Love and Squalor. And I've, I've, it's been recommended to me. I've been meaning to read it for quite some time. And I actually think it'll make pretty good podcast material. So I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to it. I think probably. It's definitely the only the second thing I've ever read by J.D. Salinger. I suspect that would be true for anybody who has read this short story. Yes, um, that'll, that'll be true for me. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. It, it was recommended. I figure uh, um, let's give it a shot, right? No, totally. Yeah, I'm excited. We'll see. We'll see what he's like. I... What did you guys think of Catcher in the Rye? I mean, we could spend a whole episode on Catcher in the Rye, but just quick opinions. Briefly, I'll say I read it in the ninth grade when I think a lot of people read it around high school. I hated it. And I read it a few years down the line, some point in college, maybe when I was a sophomore college, and I com- I totally loved it. Hmm. What's it about? I don't know if that says more about me or more about the Catcher in the Rye. Catcher in the Rye is about a, uh, a kid who's in high school who is just going through a lot. He has a difficult family situation. He has a difficult social situation. He runs away from school and he spends the weekend in New York. And he's sort of discovering a lot about himself. Uh, it's kind of hard to pin down, but it's a very famous story. It's it's a classic example of a Bildungsroman, which is German for a coming-of-age story. Or a coming-of-age novel. Don't worry, Humpy. It's not too long, so I think I think you'll be able to do the reading. Ha ha ha! We're not reading the whole book. We're reading a short story. Maybe maybe if you like the style of the story, Humpy, maybe you can read Catcher in the Rye. Get a get a jump on your ninth grade English class. Is it really ninth grade? That's first year for me. I don't know. I think this maybe is maybe it was sophomore this... year of high school. Yeah. All right, mom. I'll wait and see. Hey everyone, this is Wemp, and I just wanted to make sure that you subscribe to The Brothers F on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Also, if you have Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, make sure to follow us there too. See you next time on The Brothers F.